0: Our scripture reading this morning uh, comes from the book of Lamentations. We're in chapter three, beginning in verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. Amen, you may be seated.
1: Hey guys, good morning. Welcome to Stonehouse Church. My name is Derek, I'm one of the pastors here. you found yourself in the middle of a group of people who are learning from a period of history um, in the Bible. It's a period of history surrounding the exile, um, which is uh, was a tremendous moment of history for Israel, but is often uh, perplexing and confusing for us because of some of the books surrounding it, um, some of the books that are referred to as minor prophets uh, in the Old Testament. We were just studying a few passages from Micah for the last couple of weeks. He's one of said prophets. Uh, we've also looked at Isaiah a little bit, um, and uh, we're going to look um, at Haggai as well in the coming few weeks. Um, but we're pausing in the middle of it all to look at the book of Lamentations. Um, and one thing that we really try to uh, to pursue. As a church here is, is to let uh, the, the full counsel of the Word of God speak to us and not uh, be choosy um, about what our subject matter is. Um, I think it's fairly commonplace in this day and time, and I, I, I totally understand this temptation as a uh, pastor, as a preacher, um, that, man, the world is full of really tough stuff. Man, why, why don't we just show up on Sunday... You know, and, and just have kind of like a parade and just cheer everybody up and just say, hey, smile, it's okay, everything's going to be great. Um, like, I completely get that temptation. In my life, in the last couple of years, that's what I've wanted <laughs> over and over again. Just somebody tell me it's fine. But it's not fine. Like, it hurts. Stuff is brutal sometimes. And what we find in the scriptures is not a, a, a bunch of cheery verses to distract us from the troubles of this world and to just tell us to get on out of your trouble and everything will be fine. But rather, we find the story of a God who sees all of the deep sorrow and all of the deep trouble and does not side skirt it, walk around it, and just kind of try to tell people to lift up their heads and and find a better day. He digs in with them. He gives them tools to express what they're going through. He actually enters the sorrow of the sufferers himself to give voice to it, to bring company and compassion and his care to it right in the middle of it, and then even though all of that is true he still speaks a great word of hope over his people again and again and again and again and again and so what we find in lamentations one of the reasons we've been doing exile is because we've wanted to look full face at this desperate time in Israel's history if you were alive at the time of exile you would have been in misery Utter misery. You would have either been physically wounded, starving. You would have watched people do the unthinkable in the middle of a two year seizure of Jerusalem. You would have been taken away into either Assyria or Egypt or Babylon. You probably would have lost your home, your possessions, a lot of your family. You definitely lost the center of your religious identity. Your temple was destroyed. Destroyed, desecrated, all the riches and stuff inside of that was taken away into Babylon. I just, my wife and I were working on a project at our house yesterday, and we were getting tired of listening to the 80s music that I always like to listen to when I clean, um, because it's just the best. So anyways, uh, Rachel was like, I don't want to listen to this anymore, I'm turning on a movie, and she turned on Raiders of the Lost Ark, and uh, that was playing in the background, and in the middle of that movie... um, Indiana Jones, one of the greatest characters in American uh, movie history, says the story of the ark and how it disappeared. And he, he, he wrongly, I don't know how, he was a genius archaeologist, he wrongly says nobody knows where it went. Well, I know where it went. It was taken in the Babylonian captivity, and it was destroyed. It was melted down. The thing that contained the glory of God was melted. It was burned. It was dust and ashes. By the time Nebuchadnezzar got done with it. That's what happened to the choice content, to the choice box that was matricula- meticulously uh, artistically designed and put inside behind a deep curtain where the Ten Commandments were thrown and the budding staff of Aaron that displayed the presence of God among his people, that thing was stolen and ruined. Right? I mean, like, if you had a family Bible growing up, that would be like somebody breaking into your house chaining you to a chair, taking your family Bible and setting it aflame right in front of your face and saying, God, what? Where's God now, right? I mean, like, just utter destruction. And the book of Lamentations is a book of poems that was written by an Israelite who endured all of this, watched it happen, and then looked back on it with honesty. Who looked back on it and didn't say, hey, Israel, cheer up. The sun will shine a new day and we'll be fine, right? We don't know how many years into exile this was written. They were there for 70 years like we talked about last week. That's almost two entire generations of people suffering in exile without the ark, without the national identity, given new names and new homes and a strange land. And this poet in the book of Lamentations honestly says This is what's going on among us. It's a deeply moving book in the Bible. And we like, as I was beginning to say, as a church, to look at these things and let them speak to us because they are the Word of God. And they are not words that say, oh, just cheer up. It's going to be all right, little child. These are devastating words. Okay, there are only a few words of hope in this entire book, and Nathan just read them in, in Lamentations 3. There's five poems, and four of them have no hope. They're just expressing, expressing utter sadness, right? That's the intensity of this book. And sometimes I want to, like, make exception for the intensity of some of our Sundays, right? And I'm going to be like, hey, sorry, you know, it's really tough to be so intense. And I'm like, listen, I love you enough to gift you what God gifted you. That's what we really cherish, we want to gift you what God has gifted you, and we don't want to pull back some of it. I think that is unwise, and I think it is ill-equipping to the saints, right, to just keep on telling you everything's going to be fine and it's going to be good, and then somebody, somebody, someday somebody dies in your life, and you're utterly devastated, and you look at the preacher and you say, you said I was going to be all right. You've lied to me, and you will have every right to say that if the preacher just kept on telling you everything's going to be great, okay, because sometimes it's absolutely terrible. So what does God say then? Is he just gone? Is he absent? Has he left us? No. (laughs) Beautifully, Lamentations helps us see that God is present, and he is there, and he is with us. And so the five poems in this book, each chapter is a poem, lay out for us so much about what God sees and says about the lament of the broken and weary soul of his children. Um, I often talk about this group called The Bible Project, and um they have a website and a youtube channel and also an app called read scripture um, and they have uh, videos about books of the bible and their video on lamentations is tremendous i learned a ton through that video um, really helped me study this book and one of the beautiful things that i saw through their work Uh, was that much of the communication that God gives us in the book of Lamentations is in the content and the structure of the content as much as it is in the actual words themselves. And so the way that Lamentations is laid out in its poetry actually tells us something about lament just as much as the words in the laments tell us something about lament. Does that make sense? So we're going to pray. I'm going to read these uh, words that Nathan uh, read just a minute ago. Read them again. Uh, and then we'll pray and we'll dig in. So here's Lamentations 3, starting in verse 19. It says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence what is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with his insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have Compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. Father, this morning we come to you humbly admitting and um, owning the fact that we often don't want to talk about what you talk about in your word. That we often want to side skirt the difficult realities of not just this world, but the difficult realities of what you've communicated to us, the the, the, the complex and sometimes confusing um, situations that we find ourselves in, uh, the, the, the issue of dealing with the existence of evil and the goodness of God and how those things fit together in this complicated world. Often we just side skirt these things because we're afraid of them, or, or, or we don't know exactly how to approach them, or we just simply want to, 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 to pursue light, happy, uh, momentarily peaceful matters, all the while we see, obviously, this world around us raging, just absolutely raging, with, with suffering all around, with people in pain, with doubts and fears and and, and and just trouble around us. So, God, I pray through your word that you would equip us to be the kind of people that can engage um, not only your word, but can engage this world. Lord, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, some of our family, maybe even our own spouses, need us to be better equipped to handle suffering. Because it is a common existence. It is a common experience, known to all people. So God, help us not ignore, but help us to dig in. And by by your spirit today, would you please help my heart, help our hearts, not to just be buried under grief, but to find, like this uh, writer of Lamentations found, to find hope right in the middle of all of this destruction, to find hope in the middle of, of what seems to be chaos, to find that you are there, that you have not left us, and that in Christ you have endured the greatest suffering so that you could be by our side in all things. Lord, equip us today. Help me to speak your word, your true word today, and silence my mouth in any air. God, would you just lead us us into your truth, I pray in Christ's name, amen. So the, the, the Lamentations, the, the, the poems of Lamentations um, are these poetic reflections on what had just happened, okay? So all this devastation happened, and, and the writer of Lamentations uh, is looking at that moment and is just filled with emotion, right? And in that emotion decides to pen uh, expressions to God about what had just happened, Uh, And one of the neat things about the structure of this uh, book is that, uh, uh, we don't know this because of English, but uh, in Hebrew, these poems are actually structured in an acrostic style. You know what acrostic poetry is, right? Where you take the letters of the alphabet and you start each line with a new letter. And so the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters, not 26. 26? Is that how many we got? Not 26 like ours. And so that's why there's, verse, uh, that's why there's 22 verses to uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, uh, chapter 4, Okay, because they're acrostic poems. Chapter 3 has 66 verses because they triple the acrostic poem. So instead of just one line per letter, there's three lines per letter, and so it, it triples the length of the poem, which is kind of neat because the one poem that has hope is three times as long right which is really kind of cool it just kind of helps us understand what in structure the, the the poet is doing here and it's it's amazing and i don't know if you're a poet i'm definitely not i've tried to be at times and written different things but it's amazing that in the structure of an acrostic poem this poet is able to express this deep grief that seems like an absolute you know just stomach churning upset sleep losing type of stuff but they bring this poetry to, to bear that has order to it, that has linear characteristics to it, right? That, that is organized and, and kind of neat and tidy. It's a way that the poet says, I've got to figure out how to get this stuff out. And the only thing I know how to do is to write the letters of the alphabet and just start screaming. Right? So there's like, there's this moment where the poet goes, ah, but I gotta say it. I gotta get it out, and I gotta find some kind of familiar pattern in order to express what's going on inside of me. And so he goes to poetry, which is this beautiful example for us that says, get the stuff out and do whatever it takes to get it out. Go ahead and, and, and let it out. But if you need help, go find a tool and use the tool and let the tool be part of how you express this deep emotion to God. Also in the structure of the poems, we find that in chapter 5, the acrostic is completely ditched. Chapter 1, 22 verses of acrostic, chapter 2, 22 verses of acrostic, chapter 3, 66 verses of acrostic, chapter 4, 22 verses of acrostic, chapter 5, explosion. Finally, after writing five poems and getting a bunch of stuff off his chest, the poet just lets loose. He goes nuts. He or she just goes nuts, flies off the handle. No more structure, it's not neat anymore, it's not tidy anymore, it's just, it's a desperate cry to God, right? Preceded by neat orderly poems that helped the poet get to the point where finally they could just say, oh God, at the end, right? It's it's really cool how this is communicated to us in the middle of these things. And this structure we see that in chapter one, the lament is taken up and there's kind of an image made of a grieving widow. Jerusalem is pictured as a grieving widow, and, and these Bible project guys that I said that make these videos, they, they image it with this this picture of this woman. You got it, Dave? That's just screaming in anguish. Right? That's how they draw chapter one. They give an image of what is going on in chapter one. It's a devastated city, and the the devastated city gets a voice, and the voice is the voice of a woman who's lost lost a loved one, has dropped to her knees, and is just crying out to God, right? Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up being taught the Bible, nobody showed me a picture like that, and said this is what the Bible is saying, okay? But it is. We'll see in a minute how beautiful that is, okay? Chapter two, the poet says, listen, we, I know this is God's justice. I know Israel deserved this because of its great sin, but I still hate it. I still hate it, and oh, God, would you have compassion, right? Chapter three is kind of a, an image of the nation of Israel. And the, the guys at Bible Project, they, they, they have a, a painting of a, or a drawing of a man crying out in anguish that kind of is the image of chapter three. It's a nation saying, God, have you forgotten us? God, we know that your punishment is just, but please, will you bring an end to it? Please, would you bring about some good through this deep, dark devastation? It's just just torn clothes on the knees, crying out, Lord, have mercy, right? Again, this is the picture of the words that's given to us in this poetry. Chapter four is kind of hard to stomach, it's basically the poet saying this is what it was like when we were attacked. And it's it's gruesome, it's like a bad battle scene. And it's the poet just honestly expressing this is what I saw and I could barely handle it. Right? He names things that he saw that were devastating and destructive and it just... Filled with sorrow, he actually walks through the steps and he says, this is what I experienced in the siege and this is what the glory days used to be like and man, you have ripped us far away from those glory days, right? It's this moment of kind of remembering God, it was good once, but my goodness, has it gotten bad. The poet owns these things and talks about them straight forward. Like I said, chapter five, finally the poet explodes and just begs God for mercy. The acrostic poem is gone. It's a communal prayer in agony for God's mercy. The poet in chapter 5 names all different kinds of people who have gone through all of this bad stuff and says, "God, please will you for, will you not forget these dear people?" It's a prayer for others and for self in the middle of this suffering. Remember the widows, remember the children, remember the rulers, remember the people, oh God. It's just this this Soul, cry out to God. Would you please, please, end this and bring us to restoration? And you see, this book is not the only lament in the Bible. Right? We heard Kelly read one just a minute ago from the Psalms. In fact, in the Psalms, one third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. One third either laments of community or laments of isolation, individual laments. They're people calling to God in the middle of suffering, right? So here's just a little tool that God has gifted us with. If you don't know how to do poetry, like me, okay, just Google Psalms of Lament, and you'll get a big, long list, and then just start reading them. And you'll find yourself lamenting. You'll find yourself in the place of the lament psalm writer and you'll realize oh my gosh they're saying the stuff I wish I could say and just keep saying go grab the poems that somebody else wrote that are better than any of us could write anyway and enter into them and make them your psalms of lament right there's 50 ish of them it's a lot I'm sure there's one or two that you could identify with in there Here's a quick list, these aren't all of them, but Psalm 10, Psalm 12, Psalm 13, which is what Kelly read, Psalm 22, Psalm 42, Psalm 55, Psalm 63, 69, 74, 79, 94, 137, 142, all throughout the Psalms, there's laments, right? If you've read the book of Job, you know there's lament in the book of Job, right? And all of these laments... They, they show us what it is that God's people do, and what's beautiful about them is that God chooses to use the words of lament that are expressed to him. He chooses to use those as his words to us. This is glorious. This is what I'm talking about where the Bible just, just doesn't say flippant little things to distract us from the troubles of the world. God has chosen to let these words in his book The book that authoritatively and assuredly says it is the word of God. These laments are the words of God. That's important to remember. God has not looked down on lament. And here's a few things. We've got a list behind me. Here's a few things that lament is in the scriptures. Number one, lament is a form of protest. You'll find all throughout the Lamentations and throughout the Psalms that these people are protesting what exists. They're saying if God is good and holy and right and just and these things exist, they ought not exist. These things are unfair, they're not good, they're unhappy, they're evil, they're gross. Right? The Psalms are a form of letting other people know and letting God know, I don't like this. Right? In a godly way. That's why they're in the book, because God actually affirms these feelings are right to look at suffering either in your life or in the life of another and to say, God, what the f- is going on? That's a godly response. He welcomes us into that response through these laments. Another thing that lament is in the scriptures is it's a way of processing emotion, right? In these poems, God's people vent their anger and their dismay at what has happened in the world, either because of their sin or somebody else's sin or just the fact that the world is a mess. It's a place for them, for them to actually start to think like the, like the lamentation poems show us in an acrostic form, start to think somewhat orderly through the chaos, to begin to process and get that stuff out. Right? This is one of the this is one of the gifts of having a wonderful friend. Or if you're so fortunate, a, a gifted counselor. To sit and to say. To, to get it out of your head. To get it out of your heart. That's some of what lament is gifted to us to do, to help us to express and to process the emotion that's inside of us. And another thing that the laments do is that they give a place to voice confusion this is such an important part of the scriptures that I think we've missed in our culture and our time that the Bible leaves all kinds of room for confusion for fear and for doubt all kinds of room why if you were told as a little kid in church that you don't ask God why you were lied to, you can ask God why. Where are you, Lord? That was Psalm 13 this morning. Where are you? Are you going to keep playing hide and seek like a mean old brother and hide yourself away from me forever? Where are you? Right, the laments are a place to voice confusion and none of these things, right, the protest, the processing emotion, the voicing confusion, none of these things are looked down on in the Bible. None of them. They're written down so that we would know that they're there. One thing that these lament poems do is they restore a sacred dignity to human suffering. They help us see that in our deepest troubles, we are not alone. And that we are not meant to just deal with it. We can talk it out, we can process it, we can even scream at the heavens, because God has actually put these words into his scripture. Now the laments aren't hopeless, okay? The laments aren't cursing God and demanding from him and taking the seat of sovereignty and giving it to yourself, right? The laments are not an abandon of faith, okay? Doubt and faith can abide in the same person at the same time. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, said the centurion. Jesus praised him, right? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So, in applying the laments we're going to look at two different groups of people today. We're going to look at those who are not mourning, and we're going to look at those who are mourning. Okay? So, two different bits of application this morning. So, if you are not mourning, right? If you are not in the middle of some deep suffering, if you are not sad, or You are the kind of person who usually does not like to make room for lament, okay? This bit's for you. Love you. Here it comes. Some of us have a functional theology that is void of this very important aspect of a biblical Christian practice. That is to say, we say we believe the Bible and we believe the God of the Bible, and yet in our practice, we leave no room for lament. Okay? What the Scriptures do to us kindly is confront us and correct us. And so if you're prone to disallow lament, if you're prone to shut it down as soon as you see it, you're not believing the Bible. You're not living out of a correct belief in Scripture. Okay? The laments are here to show us something so that we don't shut down lament, okay, so that we don't put a plug in what God says to let it flow, right? We're instructed in the right way of lament, not instructed to not lament, okay? Now, this errant thinking is evidence when we say things like, come on now, it could be worse, Right, Like if I had a dollar for every person I sat down and counseled and they gave me their woes and then they said, well, but at least I'm not a starving child in Africa. I'm like, that's not what the Bible does. It's not, no, 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 no. I'm suffering, but somebody else has probably got it bad or worse, I'll just get over my, No, let's talk about your suffering. Like you talking about what's, Bad and hard and sad in your life. It's not ignoring what's bad and sad and hard in everybody else's life. It's you making personal and true and real what God says to you in this moment. So let's not just shut it down, right? I've heard this, and I mean, people try, right? But like, what, you don't need to be so down. Jesus is still on the throne. I'm like, yeah, it hurts. Sure, he's up there, ascended and glorified, praying for me at the right hand of the Father. But know what's on his hands? Scars. I don't know. He bears the marks of sorrow as he sits in glory. Certainly his message to me is not, come on, man, I'm up here. You're down to figure it out. Right? Like, we, we, just, we just dismiss... And it's just the wrong thing to do. Because in Scripture, listen, again and again, God does not answer lament with thoughtless, short-worded, pithy, insensitive little commands to just make a better situation for yourself. God isn't dismissive of lament in the Scriptures. Right? In fact, in Job, God rails against the friends, heavy quotation marks, the friends who are trying to silence Job's mourning with their ideas of wisdom. Right? Job's on his knees like that picture a minute ago in ashes, sores on his body, scraping himself with jars. His family's all dead. His livestock is gone. His life is burned up. And they're like coming to offer some kind of solution to him. And God's like, you should have just shut up and cried with your friend. Sorry. Sorry. God probably didn't say shut up. God actually confronts those who bring a simple little answer to Job. He says that's not the way. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Pretty popular saying. Isaiah 42, 3, it's a poem about Jesus who is to come. It says, a bruised reed he will not break. Right? Those who lament... He's not going to dismiss and write off. Romans 12, 15 instructs us to weep with those who weep. Right? I mean, I can't wait for the day, and I don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime, but I cannot wait for the day when just overly simplified responses to suffering are gone from our vocabulary. That'll be a glorious day. When we don't just say, come on, you'll get through it and everything will be fine, or we like to, you know, everything will happen for a reason. It's like, I get it, yes, there's purpose in all things, but don't just write me off with a pithy little saying, right, that the scriptures would pull us into the conversation, not just tell us to dismiss it. Not to say, come on, just pray or have more faith and you'll get a miracle, right, like, I get it, God can do whatever he wants, sure, he can change everything all at one moment, but he might not. He might not. The bad news of Lamentations is that it ends unresolved. It doesn't button up nicely and tie in a bow at the end because guess what? The poet is still in Babylon. He still doesn't have a home. People are still crying and dying and sad. The end of Lamentations is, oh, but yay, Jesus is coming back. It's it's sad. That's how it ends. We're to enter into that, not just dismiss it. God, have mercy on us and instruct us to be the kind of people that do not dismiss sadness and suffering and lament. If you aren't mourning, if you haven't suffered severely, if your soul hasn't been in anguish, then I have two things to say to you in kindness and instruction number one arm yourself with the truth because mark my words no one gets out alive I'm not making a threat I'm not here to rain down doomsday I'm here to say you'll have the day you'll have the day if you're not there today then equip yourself with the truth dive into the depths of Scripture to see the real hope that God gives in the middle of suffering. It's not pithy little statements. It's not dismissive and rote, right? It's compassionate and kind and close. Learn these truths now. Because listen, persons of faith in the Scriptures are compared to oak trees, oak trees that are planted by God Oak trees that are planted by God that when, not if, but when they do face storms, they will stand. You will stand. Listen, the worst might be over or the worst may yet be coming. And you will stand. God planted you. You're His oak tree in His strength as you're connected to him, he will hold you. You will stand. Hear that today, okay? Secondly, if you aren't mourning, I want to instruct you with this. I would encourage you to plunge yourself into obedience to God's words in ways that will align you with the brokenness of this world. Christian discipleship in obedience to the commands of Jesus is lived out in a life of proximity to suffering. This sounds a little self torturing, but it's not. This is glorious. God says to the healthy, the rich, the prosperous, the wise, the strong, and the untroubled people. He says, go find the poor, the devastated, the widow, the orphan, the prisoner, the sorrow-filled, and enter their world. Right? I didn't just make that up. Okay? James one twenty-seven says, visit orphans and widows in their world. Affliction, okay? To visit in affliction is not to knock on their door and bring them cookies. It's to jump into the pool of their life and learn to swim with them. Visit them in their affliction. Romans 12, verses 13 and 16, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints. Associate with the lowly. Get low. Oh dear, wonderful servant of the Lord. Get low. 1 John 3.17, this one hurts. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Oof. the command of God and it's for your good. It's for your good that you would look at all the gifts and the grace and the prosperity that you have and say it's a gift from God. I cannot hold it to myself. I must give it. I must grow close to and abide near those who have pain in their life. I must break down the fences that separate me from the troubles of this world and get to know the pain closely. Not, hey, turn off the news so you don't hear the bad news. No, 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 listen. Listen close. That's your neighbor. That's your coworker. That's your friends. That's your family. That's your fellow countrymen. That's your fellow human. Their their world's falling apart. Don't close your ears. If you've got stuff to give them, don't close your heart. If you don't suffer, go find suffering, Jesus says. Whoo! whole different church whole different church in this world if we followed his commands go go and enter into the story care for the poor visit those in jail give away a lot of money obey God and be sacrificial in your giving generous in your giving. That's what the New Testament says, sacrificial and generous. Well, how much? The tithe, not the tithe. (laughs) Give until it affects the way you live. I love you, but do it. It'll change your life. It'll change your life when you have to make monthly decisions with a deficit. Because guess what? 70 stinking percent of the world makes budget decisions like that if not more. I should have looked up the stats. That's life for the majority of your fellow humans to look at the month and say, we're not going to have enough. God says, intentionally, put yourself in that position. Move into that space. Out of generosity and sacrifice, Put yourself in a place where you have to make calculations because of lack that you've chosen. It's bold and freaking daring, and it'll change your life and the lives of the people around you. Listen, I am screaming at myself right now. Don't think I'm coming down on you. Finally, mourn with your friends who are mourning. Be there. Don't avoid it. Sometimes you just gotta be there quietly. Sometimes the only way you're gonna be able to be there is praying, right? Well, I don't, I don't know what, I, I get so uncomfortable, I don't know what, sweet, start right there. Like, let's be people that start there, that sit next to someone in tears and actually own the fact that we have no idea what to do. Say it, say it. I, I don't know what to say. I don't have any words for you, but that screaming preacher guy told me that I'm supposed to be here and that Jesus is here and so I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Here I am. I hear you. I see you. I'm listening as an evidence of God being here listening and seeing. Let me be his hands extended to you in grace. Right? Enter into that hard time with someone else. Listen, in the end, this is called incarnation. Incarnation. Does that word sound familiar? That was Jesus coming as God to be human. From a place of what? Abundance, perfection, glory, comfort, riches. Health. This is everything that God in perfection knew for eternity. And Jesus left it. To do what? To put on sandals. To be homeless. To touch lepers. To pick up orphans. To embrace widows. To heal to meet, to touch. This is incarnation, and I'm telling you, you'll find Jesus when you follow him into the suffering and the sorrow around you. Amen? How does Jesus answer lament? He enters into it. He enters into it, identifies with it, experiences it himself, and lives Again, triumphant over everything. This is a great comfort that Jesus has entered into suffering with the sufferers. So go be Jesus. (laughs) It's my instruction for those who don't lament and for those of you who do. The laments of Scripture invite us to express our heartfelt pain to God. Again, the Scriptures don't look down on these expressions. The Scriptures don't look down on the protest. They don't look down on the confusion, right? The Scriptures elevate these realities in lament And one thing that I found as we try to figure out how to lament in prayer is that I am prone, in the middle of sadness or suffering or sorrow, I am prone to be pulled out of fellowship with God. I am prone to stop praying because the pain feels like it's too much and the sorrow really is meant to invite us into prayer, not to put a wall between us and God. This is one of the the things to hold most tightly in the times of confusion and pain is to actually begin to draw close to God and express this lament to him in deep, heartfelt, and honest ways. One of the gifts of suffering and pain is that our lives are stripped of many things that we try to hold on to. Suddenly, we, we, we can't even hold them. And in that loss, in that absence, in that void, suddenly our hands are freed to grab what is true and eternal and real, right? At the moment we lose grip of every bit of control that we thought we had, finally our hands are free to grab totally, fully, and tightly onto God. To say, if I have nothing but you, I shall be content. That's a lofty statement very lofty statement but it's in the scriptures that God can actually be enough in the midst of the sorrows Joni Erickson Todd I don't know if you know who that is she's been handicapped for most of her life she's a Christian author She's written some beautiful things she says this that God is good not because he gives us answers but because he gives us himself in the middle of crying out in anguish, God is faithful not necessarily to answer all of our questions, to to make sense of all of our confusion, but he is faithful to be there. Himself, to actually be there. And so in your sorrow, listen, many of us mourn, but I think many of us mourn without lament, and the many is me. I was given an assignment by my counselor to do what I just told you a couple minutes ago. Go through the Psalms of Lament, read them all, and then write one of my own. And guess when I did it? This was months ago. Guess when I finally did it? This week. Right? Like, I don't know if you can tell from there, my head looks kind of normal, but it's the thickest, stupidest head. It just takes forever for stuff to get through this skull, man. Like, what? What? Finally, I lamented to the Lord. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. Maybe you cry out to God in song, or like this writer of Lamentations in poem, or in painting, or, I don't know, this works for me, physical exertion, right? Like, for me, the hockey thing is therapy because I turn on really, really heavy music as I drive a half hour to Clearwater, and... I like kind of get really intense feeling and, and then I hit the ice and I skate as fast as I can for a few laps and, and like inside I'm like screaming, like, screaming. Like, and sometimes it doesn't go good. Like a guy hits me and it's like I get a penalty and sometimes I run my mouth and I get really angry. So it's like, it's messy. There's sin in there. I'm not gonna lie, right? But like it helps, <laughs> it helps. So maybe you run or bike or lift or, I don't know, like do it, exert, get some of it out, right? There's this video I saw on, on Twitter, uh, Chrissy Teigen, I think is her name, and somebody was walking into a green room where she was before a performance or something like that and they came around the corner with their phone and they were just recording and they turned to, to go talk to her and she was sitting upright with her legs crossed on this seat And all of a sudden, before the person could say anything, she starts screaming. The top of her lungs, like, closes her eyes and just goes... (sighs) And I was like, she's lamenting. She's actually lamenting. I don't know if she's read Lamentations or not, but she's lamenting. Listen, there's a fine line here, right? Lament in Scripture is aimed at God. Often, where I get lament wrong, and where you may get lament wrong, is you aim it at a friend. Or you aim it at a spouse, or a neighbor, or when you're in your car, (laughs) he comes out. Right? Or you aim it at, you know, politicians, or rich people, or, you know, I don't know what you aim it at, right? But... This is where we miss lament. Lament is meant to be thrown on the one who can handle it. And that's only God. That's only God. So some of us have some serious repentance to do. Me too. I've lamented on you, is what you need to say. And I'm sorry. Right? Appropriate might be lament in poetry, lament in writing, and send it to him. Let him, like, say, hey, this is what I said to God today. (laughs) Might be helpful. Might actually create some union with you and your friend or your spouse or your family member. Hey, I I laid it out on God. Or Psalm 12 or Psalm 77 or, you know, that's what I read today. Just write it out. Identify with it. Read it out loud. Maybe scream it a little bit. And then send it to a friend and just say, just so you know, this is what my heart's at right now. This is the stuff that's coming out of me just like it came out of David who was by the way called a man after God's own heart right like this is this is what came out right we find ourselves in good company when we lament like this to God David again man after God's own heart Job called righteous the writer of Lamentations other writers of the Psalms right Moses Moses threw the written Ten Commandments on the ground and shattered them. Right? Screws loose like he lost it. It's Moses. It's Moses. God was faithful to Moses even when he lost it. God will be faithful to you even when you lose it. But listen, point it at God. Let's do it. Let's point it at God. Let other people know about it, sure, but point it at God. In our anger, in our confusion, in our fear, in our doubt, in our struggle, let us not add sin to sin and ruin relationships and berate people around us. Let us take it to the one who can handle it. And listen, it's not neat, it's not tidy, and it won't be void of sin. It's hard to even figure out what's sin and not sin in the middle of that. But guess where grace will meet you? In that moment, grace will meet you. In that moment of not knowing if you've gone too far, grace will meet you. In that moment of being unsure if you've said too much, grace will meet you there in that time. You know where grace can't meet you? When you just bottle it up and hold it all in. Don't ever face it and deal with it. Listen, the world is maddening, right? If you don't let this madness out, in healthy expressions. It will come out in unhealthy expressions. And again, to those who don't mourn, like if you don't have something personally to do this, just look at the world and scream about that. Go to God with that. (laughs) Right? Just click on Twitter, read through one feed worth, and then turn it off and cry out to God. It's all, I mean, two pages in the newspaper, cry out, just, it doesn't take much. Look at it see it for what it is, and then ask God, why is this happening? And then say, God, will you not stop it? And then say, with the writer of Lamentations, you're faithful. We've seen you do this. We've seen you do this. We've seen you do this. Why can't you do this? Please, God, would you do this? Bring it to him. Put it out there and let it go. Express these things to God and listen Like I said, Jesus is someone who expressed lament. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. The perfect human, Jesus Christ, offered up loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is what that says. Jesus did it, and Jesus did it perfect. So that when you do it, and like me, it's a mess, grace can meet you because he did it perfect. He enters that place for you, perfectly standing before God, cries and, 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 and reaching out in anguish to the Father, and he was met because he did it with reverence. Jesus lamented perfectly. So you can lament Jesus. We're invited in Scripture. We're urged by Scripture. Like Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The invitation is to throw it all on Jesus, to make your protest known, to work through the emotions of a life in prayer to one who has said he will hear you, to give voice to that confusion. And in the midst of that lament, to actually cry out to God for mercy. To say God will you please notice me will you please look on this and have compassion will you rescue will you save will you redeem like Lamentations 331 for the Lord will not cast off forever but though he caused grief he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God will meet us in compassion. He will hear our cry. He will be faithful to abide even when we're expressing this deep pain. Stacy Glettel-Smith says this, biblical lament then, is an honest cry to God who is powerful, good, and just A cry that this situation is not in alignment with God's person or purposes. It's a cry that expects an answer from God and therefore results in hope, trust, and joy rather than despair. Biblical lament pushes through the sorrow and arrives at the place of hope because of the one that you're crying out to. Because you know he has been faithful. We have long documentation of his faithfulness to his people. And whether we see it tomorrow, or in a year, or in 10, or maybe not until our deathbed, the faithfulness of God is our hope, right? Right in the middle of Lamentations 3, remember my affliction, my soul remembers it. This I call to mind, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, verse 22. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. We're going to sing this in a minute. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Even in my lament, when I look upon the Lord, I can see that he is faithful. I can trust in his hand. When it's confusing and dark and I can't quite figure it out, I know that he is above and that he is with and that he cares. It's not a simple, quick fix. It's a deep, abiding presence that holds us when it's hard that listens to us when we're lost, that comforts us when we are grieving, that pulls us up to a place of hope, that he is faithful, right? Sometimes the lament just simply ends like this. God, I I don't know, but you do. I don't know, but you do. Sounds an awful lot like Jesus, your will be done. It's dark. I don't want it. Your will be done. You know. And sometimes that's enough. God, you know. Would you help me right here in the middle? Because sometimes I don't know. Amen. God, would you have mercy and restore to us this gift of lament? Let's pray. Father we thank you for the hard stuff even though we don't always love it. We do know that we need it. And we do know that you're faithful to hold us in the middle of it. God, thank you for the long, slow, patient, abiding process that you walk with us. You do not leave us. You do not forsake us. You have not cast us away. You will not leave us in grief forever. You will redeem. You will restore. We don't know when, but you will. God, it's so hard to trust you. It's so hard. Would you please abide with us? Would you please draw near to us? Would you please move us into the place of honesty with you? Of expressing lament to you? Would you make us a people that make room for the lament of others? That encourage it to go toward God? Would you make us a people who weep with those who weep, who visit those who suffer, who enter into the troubles of those around us? Who, like Jesus, are acquainted with the hurting. God, equip us, make us strong like oaks of righteousness that we might stand. This is impossible without your spirit. Utterly impossible without your help. Oh God, would
0: you please help us? We pray in the name of Jesus.